If you have your Bibles, please turn them to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, near the end of your Bible, is a big book, a book that I love called Hebrews. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 today, starting in verse, excuse me, starting in verse 3. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. And the title of our lesson today, as you can see on the screen, is called Strength to Overcome. Does anyone feel like that guy right now? Rolling the boulder uphill. Strength to overcome. I thought that was an interesting picture. Before we get there, though, I'm going to ask you a question and give you a top ten. Did you ever need motivation to do something? Something hard. Did you ever need to find motivation in order to do something hard? Well, I'm going to give you my top ten motivations to get in shape. Now, we are still in the New Year's resolution season. I don't know if you had any of those. New Year's resolutions, typically by February, they're all gone. Have you noticed that? Whatever resolutions you made by February, they're over. Whether you accomplish them or not, they're gone. But here we're going to talk today about 10 motivations, top 10 motivations to get in shape. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I get in shape in periods of my life. I'll work out for two months, then I'll get busy or tired or injured, and then I don't work out for six months. And then I feel guilty, and then I work out and crush myself for another month until I get injured again. And then that's kind of the season I'm in. So I just started doing this again. I just started working out because it had been a while. So here's top 10 motivations. These are jokes, okay? Don't take these serious. Not stepping on any toes. These are simply jokes. Some of these have actually happened to me. So uh, take these for what they are. Number 10 motivation to get in shape is your bathroom scale moans when you step on it. Um, if your scale says help when you step on it or it moans and makes a weird noise, that's probably a good sign that you should probably get in shape. Here's number nine. Number nine motivation to get in shape is you pull a muscle hanging a picture. Uh, I think I've done this. I've, I was, was hanging something the one day and I did something to my neck for the next couple days I was suffering. That's a pretty good indicator I'm not in shape. I can't hang a picture frame without getting injured. Here's number eight. Number eight motivation to get in shape is your GPS automatically is set to give you directions to the nearest Krispy Kreme, which we have on Clark Summit. And uh, so that's, pretty, that's a pretty good indicator things aren't going too well is getting in shape. You know where all the Krispy Kremes are in the county. Here's number seven. Number seven, I'm stealing. Okay, number seven, I'm stealing from a comedian. His name is Kevin James. Maybe you've heard of him. He said this, top ten motivation to get in shape. Number seven, you get winded from peeling an orange. Come on, that's pretty good, right? I had to steal that one because that one always, always made me laugh. If you get tired from peeling an orange, it's probably time to get into the gym. Number six, along the same lines, is you need to stretch before tying your shoes. If, t- <laughs> if tying your shoes makes your back seize up, like sometimes it does for me, it's time to get in shape. Here's number five. Uh, number five way you know you need to get in shape is you've once Googled the phrase... Why does my back squeak at night? <laughs> or anything, any kind of noise. <laughs> similar, similar. I don't know if I've used the word squeak. But my, mat, my back makes some weird noises sometimes, and sometimes I want to know why that is. And I ask Google, and usually it's because I'm dying. Um, don't do that, by the way. That's a bad idea. Here's number four reason you know you need to get in shape. Is you're not fit enough to open up your Fitbit watch from its packaging. You're so out of shape, you can't even open your Fitbit watch. That's how you know things aren't going well and you probably need to get to the gym. Here's number three reason you need to get in shape is because you're such a good customer 
with the Girl Scouts, the local Girl Scouts, they've named a cookie after you. The Todd. If there's a cookie called the Todd or put your name there, again, it's probably time to get in shape. Aren't, aren't there Girl Scout cookies yummy? Anybody like those? Those are good, right? You sell them? Is there one called the Todd yet? Okay, there will be. Here's number two reason you need to get in shape is you snore while you're awake. Now, I... I actually knew a guy who did this. He snored while he was awake. I wasn't sure what was going on. You guys have heard of sleep apnea, right? This man just had apnea. <laughs> wasn't even sleeping. <laughs> so that's probably a time to seek some help. Here's number one way you, need to, you know you need to get in shape is you black out after putting your pants on in the morning. Um, if putting your pants on takes 20 minutes and you feel lightheaded, yeah, find a fitness trainer. It's time to get in shape. So those are my top 10 reasons to get in shape. Now we're going to talk about something like that. That is a motivation today, okay? A motivation to keep going. My dad, if you know my dad, Pastor Mel, was big into, he called it get going on for God. And it was all about keep going. We're going to talk about something similar to that. If you have your Bibles, join me in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, and we're going to read a few verses from Hebrews 12, starting in verse 3. And we'll go to verse 14. Listen to what the writer says. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are not, then you are, excuse me, illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strength to overcome is our title today. Is anyone feeling weary? Slip your hand up if you're feeling a little bit weary today. Yes, I see many hands. In the 12th chapter of Hebrews, after a long discourse about the Jewish law and its connection to Jesus Christ, the writer of Hebrews addresses a topic that we all struggle with to some degree, and it's weariness. Weariness. Now, we have talked many times about how the Christian path that we're all on is a narrow and difficult path. That's what Jesus calls it. The Christian path is a narrow and difficult path. In order to be a Christian, you have to say yes to that path. You have to be willing to walk the narrow, difficult path. Now, I've noticed that almost anybody can do a difficult thing if it's for a short while. Is that correct? If it's for a short while, most of us can do a difficult thing. If you've ever helped someone move for a few hours, most of us can do that. We can show up for two to three, four hours, and we can help someone move. As long as it's not going to be all day or two days or a whole weekend, we can do something hard as long as it's short term. 
But what happens when time seems to linger? And the pain, loneliness, and attacks that you're feeling aren't the exception. They're the rule and the theme of your life for many, many years. Now, some of us have been in this Christian journey for a long time. I've been in this Christian journey for 16 years. I've been a Christian since I was five, but I've been walking with the Lord for about 16 years. And some of you have been walking with the Lord longer than me. Some of you have just started your Christian journey. But either way, weariness can strike without a warning. Now, I could define the word weariness. I think most of you know that word. But I'm going to give you some synonyms for the word weary so you understand what this word means if you don't already. Listen to these synonyms. Worn out. Exhausted. Fatigued. Overtired. Drowsy. Sapped. Spent. Drained. And low. Does that describe anyone here today? Any of those words describe you? That's what weary means. Now, when this happens to our physical body, the solution is very simple. We just take a vacation. We take a vacation, we rest our body and our mind, we go on a cruise, go to the beach, and we just rest our body. If we are physically weary, we know how to combat that. But what happens when we're weary spiritually? What's the solution then? Well, we're going to find out today because the writer of Hebrews addresses this, and this is exactly what he says at the beginning of his passage. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The number one reason to not grow weary is quite simple. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Now, sometimes we have to dig into the text, and we got to hunt for the text, for the solution to our problem, but not today. The writer of Hebrews gives it to us straight away. He simply says, consider him. Consider him. Who? Who should we consider? Well, it's quite obvious he's talking about Jesus Christ. Consider Jesus. Consider your Savior. Consider your Lord. Consider your captain. Consider your good shepherd. Consider Jesus. The word consider means to think carefully about, to take into account. He says, think carefully about Jesus. Consider Jesus because he's not only your Savior, he's also the leader of your journey. And he has experience, vast experience, in what we're talking about today. This is what it says again. Consider him, listen to the phrasing, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now, Jesus is a unique leader. He is. He's not an old, overweight coach yelling orders to you from the sidelines. Jesus is the captain of our army. And he's giving his orders from the front of the battle, having just secured the enemy's flag and now basking in complete victory over sin and Satan. He's now giving his orders and commandments from a place of ultimate dominant victory. And that Jesus wants us to victor also. And he also knows how to help us. He knows exactly what we need to combat weariness. Because Jesus endured much more suffering, loneliness, and difficulties than anyone can possibly fathom. If you remember, Isaiah 53 says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And the writer in Hebrews says he endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Have you ever considered that with Jesus? The amount of hostility 
that was against him. The word hostility means unfriendliness, opposition, and even warfare. That's what Jesus faced on a day-to-day basis. Now, yes, many sinners came to Jesus for salvation and began following him. That is true. But many, many other sinners did not, and they remained hostile to Jesus his entire life. I want you to imagine the amount of people that Jesus knew and reached out to and how many of those people ended up being the very ones who hurt him, who hated him, who abandoned him, and who signed off on his crucifixion. And the writer says, Consider Jesus so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Think carefully about Jesus. Now, we could look at this another way and get quite discouraged because our captain faced so much hostility, that means we are going to as well because that's what happens, right? If you follow someone and they're facing hostility, you too will face hostility. That could sound very depressing. That's not quite encouraging yet, is it? But if we see this clearly today, I believe it will be incredibly encouraging for our soul. Because the writer says this following this in verse 4. He says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, the writer is not undermining our struggle, okay? He's helping to shape our perspective towards what real suffering could look like. So that we see our suffering today as easier, minor. Not as hard as Jesus went through. It's similar to when a parent says to their child, which I've done and my parents did to me, when they're struggling to eat their dinner. Did you not know that there are children in the world with no dinner tonight? Aren't you thankful for the meatloaf you have instead of no dinner? I think mom said that very phrase to me. Now, it didn't work. I didn't eat the meatloaf, but I did feel guilty. And that strategy doesn't work with my children either, so we'll just remove that. But, but we're talking about children. Now we're talking about adults. Adults are smarter than that, right? We should know better that this is what the writer is going for. The writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, you are struggling. And you are suffering. But you have not struggled and suffered to the point of shedding your blood. But there is someone who did. There is someone who died serving God. Therefore, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Jesus actually shed his blood on a cross in order to defeat our sin and accomplish the will of God. He actually died. Have you done that yet? Have I? The answer is no, we haven't. Let us not become weary in our job of following Jesus because we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood in our struggle against sin. And therefore, our job is so far easier than our captain's because Jesus loved us to the point of death on a cross. You haven't done that. I haven't done that. And more than likely, we will not have to go to that level. So consider Jesus. Don't just think about him for a moment. That's not what he's saying. And then move on. That's not what the writer is saying. He's saying consider Jesus especially when you're growing weary, when you're suffering and struggling in this life, take time to think about Jesus, what he went through on your behalf. Take into account Jesus' sacrifice for you. That's what he's saying. Take time, sit down, think and pray about what Jesus went through for you. And unlike Jesus, excuse me, unlike us, 
Jesus did not come to this earth to find favor with God. That's not why he came. Jesus was already the Son of God in perfect, loving fellowship with his Father. Jesus came to earth so we could find favor with God, because we were not. Jesus was always in favor with God, but you and I found ourselves to be God's enemies for a time because of our sin, and someone needed to help us find peace with God again. So Jesus came to this earth. He suffered and he struggled with people who wanted to destroy him every day of his life so that you and I could find favor with God. And the reason we're sitting here today at a church under the name of Jesus Christ is because Jesus suffered and struggled to the point of shedding his blood for us. And how often do you consider that? Do you think about that on a day, daily basis? Because we should. Consider Jesus. He thought we were worthy of his suffering. Is he, the king, King Jesus, not worthy of our lesser struggle, our lesser suffering? Because the writer of Hebrews believes so. And if we consider Jesus, then we will see our struggle as not as severe as his. Our struggle and suffering against sin will then turn into a love gift for this Jesus, for all he's done for us. And that's the point. So we change our perspective. It doesn't mean we're not suffering. It doesn't mean we're not grieving. It means we're doing this now as a gift to our Lord Jesus for what he's done for us. So therefore he says, reason number one, to not grow weary, consider Jesus. Now, the second one is going to maybe throw us off course a little bit. That one makes a, real, a lot of sense to us. We'd say, yes, consider Jesus, consider what he's done for you. The reason number two to not grow weary, though, might surprise you. Consider God's discipline. In fact, he spends a lot more time on this point than he does the first point. Reason number two to not grow weary is consider the discipline of God. Let's read it again. Have you forgot the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now this is a unique strategy for fighting weariness. It's one that I wouldn't arrive at unless the Bible told me, okay? Consider the discipline of God. Consider God's fatherly discipline in your life to combat weariness. Now this passage, interestingly enough, if you've heard my dad's testimony, Pastor Mel, this was a passage that was used very instrumentally in his life when my dad was not walking with the Lord. He had just blown out his shoulder. He was laying in a hospital bed, unable to play basketball, unable to do anything really. And his pastor came in to visit him, and he brought this passage and opened his Bible and laid it before him at a time when my dad was already discouraged because he blew his shoulder out. He couldn't play basketball. He couldn't do anything. The pastor slides his passage before him and says, The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. 
But doesn't that seem counterproductive on the onset? Doesn't that seem counterproductive for someone to say to you, hey, you're already suffering and struggling. Well, just remember, God disciplines those whom he loves. You're suffering today because you were sinful. God does not stand for sin, so you're suffering because you were disobedient. Is anyone encouraged yet? Because I wasn't quite when I first read that. But this passage was interesting in my dad's life because it was used to wake him up from his spiritual sleep and get him moving towards serving the Lord. It actually worked in my dad's life. But why? What exactly is encouraging here? Well, let's consider my dad for a moment. Pastor Mel, he's been passed on for a couple months now. But I want to consider my dad today because my dad, if you know my dad, was a, was a legend in many circles. He was a popular man. My dad had many many friends. We went to his memorial service and it was packed. In fact, I think they had an overflow room that was also packed. My dad was a very popular man who was very respected. But as his child, I never remember being encouraged when my dad was upset with me. I never remember thinking this, wow, Mel Walker just raised his voice at me and spanked me. That means I'm his son. How cool is that? I never remember thinking that as a child. Now, maybe I should have, but I didn't. But this is kind of what the writer of Hebrews is sort of saying. It's true that some of the suffering we face in this life is general suffering that only comes because we're on the narrow, difficult path. That's true. Christians will suffer more than the world. But it's also more likely that we have caused some of our own suffering by making bad, sinful choices. I hope you would say yes to that. Some of my suffering is my own fault. In other words, don't get weary because it's your fault. Is anyone encouraged yet? Probably not. But something truly special is tucked away here for us to discover. See, God does not discipline everybody in the world. Did you know that? He does not. He does not discipline the world. Just like I do not discipline other people's children, God does not discipline the world. Now, the world, like all of us, has natural consequences to making bad choices. Let me give you an example of this. When I was a child, we went to a camp with my brother and I, and there was an electrical fence on the border of this camp. And Trav and I got a little curious. Is it really electrical? And even if it is, how much harm could it possibly do? So we had to find out. I think I goaded my brother into doing it first, but I went as well. We had to touch that thing. And, I mean, we're little. We're a little kid, but how dumb is that? I had to touch the electrical fence to see, is it really electrical or is it kind of like a bluff? And so I decided to touch it. How do you think that went? Well, that's the day I lost my eyebrows. <laughs> see, God's discipline is not a natural consequence to being stupid. Okay, What I experienced that day was not the discipline of God. That was a natural consequence of making a stupid choice. <laughs> That was not God's fatherly discipline being shown to me at that hour. That was just a natural, stupid consequence. Touching electrical fences equals a painful electrical shock, something I shouldn't do again. And the world knows that, okay? The world knows that equation very well, and so do we. If you make a dumb choice, you receive a consequence for that. But what the world does not experience is the discipline of God from making sinful, selfish choices. See, the world, unless it breaks the law and the authorities find out about it, the world will get away with their sin and their selfishness, at least for now until Judgment Day. 
but not Christians. Every single time we sin, we get caught by God. Don't grow weary because you can't get away with sin with your God. Is anyone encouraged yet? Once again, probably not yet. But let's read this passage again and notice the tenderness of the language. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. The, the Lord only disciplines those whom he loves. This automatically means that Christians are going to suffer more than anyone else in the world. And the reason for this, interestingly enough, is because God loves us. If he did not love us, then he would not discipline us. He would let us get away with sin. He would let us be condemned on Judgment Day like the rest of the world. And therefore, we would suffer less now. Our life would go better now. We would struggle less now, but our sin would end up destroying us later. And God loves us too much for that to happen. And he says, no, thank you. I'm going to give you my gift of discipline. That is a gift of grace, if you understand it properly. But God does not want us to be destroyed, so he would rather discipline us now so we will repent of our sin, turn away from our sin, follow Jesus Christ, stay on the path to the path of eternal life. And the writer goes on to say this, in fact, in fact, if you can get away with sin, you should be very worried. Because that does mean you don't have God's fatherly love. And if we do not have God's fatherly love, then we are not legitimate children of God. And if we're not legitimate children of God, we're not saved. And if we're not saved, we need to make that top priority today. If you're not saved, if you're not a child of God, if you don't know what God's discipline looks like, that's something to find out today. That's something to figure out today. Do you actually have faith in Jesus today? And if you don't, it's very simple. Turn to Jesus by faith. And he will save you. He has promised that he will save those who turn to him by faith. Once you're saved, because that's as simple as that, a child can do it, you will become a child of God for all eternity. And then God will treat you like his precious offspring because God only disciplines those whom he loves. And did you know that we need God's discipline to finish our journey? We need it. It's crucial. It's paramount to me finishing the journey he's placed me on. If I don't have the discipline of God, it's like not having a guardrail on a very curvy road on a winter day. I'll go off that road, or I might. So God disciplines those whom he loves. See, I don't discipline other people's children, just like I told you, even though sometimes we want to, right? If we were honest, sometimes in certain scenarios we want to discipline other people's kids. In the store the other day, a child was screaming to the top of their lungs. And... For a couple moments, you just shrug it off, but it was minutes. And I, I just kind of glanced over, just gave one of those glances like, what's going to happen? But I don't discipline other people's children. I would never, ever consider doing such a thing because they're not my children. I don't have that right. I don't have that responsibility. I only discipline my own children. And I want to, interestingly enough, even though it's not an enjoyable experience for myself or my child because it's not. But I do it because I want my children 
to grow up and be godly people. I do it because I love them. And this is precisely why God disciplines his children, because he loves us and he wants us to grow up to be godly people and to finish our Christian journey. And without his discipline, we never will, not one of us. Not one of us. Pick the godliest person you know, man and woman you know. Without God's discipline, they're not going to make it. Therefore, just as we considered Jesus at the beginning, we also need to consider the fatherly love of God because both of these can help us tremendously tremendously in our struggle against weariness. If you think you can't go on, consider what God might do to spur you on because he loves you. Now, why would God allow you to suffer while the world has it easy right now? Why would God allow you to suffer while the world seems to have it easy? And it's quite simple. He's invested every ounce of his love into you to make you like Jesus. And he's going to do it no matter what it takes because only people who are made like Jesus are going to heaven. Did you know that? It's a term we call sanctification. It's a biblical term. It's a doctrinal term. It means being made like Jesus. If you ever hear the word sanctification, that's what it means. Being made like Jesus. And unless we are sanctified, we cannot get into heaven. There is a process and a period of God forming us into the image of his son so that one day Jesus will recognize us by our duty, by our actions, by our character, by our lifestyle and say they're mine. They're mine. They listened. They obeyed. They followed me. They are mine. So the writer finishes this way. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Listen to the language. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We cannot and we will not see the Lord unless we become similar to Jesus in holiness. We must be more like Jesus and less like the world. And that can only happen by these two things, considering Jesus, thinking about him, taking account of him and his lifestyle, and then considering the fatherly love of God and continuing your path until the end. See, God wants us to no longer have drooping hands falling by our side. He wants our weak knees to be strengthened today. So that we can leave here today. And number one, we can be ready to do battle with the devil again. Because we must. Number two, we are ready to love our neighbors. Because we must. Number three, we are ready to strive after holiness in our lives. Because we must. And God wants us to reach that finish line in heaven. Because he loves us passionately. Now if I saw one of my children struggling to get across a road or get across a slippery patch of ice, which we did this morning, wouldn't a loving father come alongside of them and help them get across? And that's exactly what God is doing for us today. He's coming alongside of us saying, Child, consider Jesus. Child, consider my fatherly love. Child, lift those drooping hands. Strengthen those weak knees. Keep going because I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So three things before we close today in application. Number one, consider Jesus. Truly think about him. 
as a practice of your life, but especially during seasons of weariness, pain, loneliness, and struggle, consider the one that went further and greater than we ever will to save our souls from sin and death. Consider what Jesus did for you and consider what he deserves from you. Consider Jesus. Number two, consider the fatherly love of your God. If you are suffering and struggling today because of sinful choices, because you might be, then find encouragement that God loves you and he won't let you continue making those sinful choices for the rest of your life because that would hurt your soul. And he won't let you hurt your soul if he loves you. Number three, find strength and motivation to carry on because the race, even though it doesn't feel this way, is soon going to be over. And we will be made like Jesus. If we listen, if we obey, if we trust God, he will make us like Jesus. He will do the hard work, the heavy lifting. We simply need to trust and obey. It's that simple. And if we don't give up, if we stay the course, if we stay grounded to Scripture, if we stay coming to church, and if we stay never losing sight of Jesus, we will finish. We will finish well. We will finish strong. We will finish with confidence at Judgment Day. We will be made like Jesus. And the weariness will never take place again once that day comes. All the pain, all the loneliness, all the grief, all the difficulty you're facing today, one day will be over for good. But for right now, we must carry on. We must move forward. And if we do these three things, we will combat weariness, and we will find the strength to overcome. Take your struggles. Take your suffering today to the Lord. Let him sort it out. Be honest about your struggles and your suffering. Be honest about your sin. Confess it to him. And if he does not remove your suffering, he will do this. He will give you the strength to endure it. He will, because that's what God does. So that one day, like Jesus, you can secure the enemy's flag. You can stand on the hill of victory next to your Lord Jesus for all eternity. Because that's the point. Stay near the Lord and you will find the strength to overcome weariness in your life. Let's bow and pray. Father, I thank you for this message today. It was helpful for my soul and I thank you for it. Father, I have been weary. I have been battling weariness in my own soul. Father, this is more probably for me than anybody here. But I pray that you've touched the souls and the minds and the hearts of people listening today, Father, that you are the one who loves us more than anyone possibly ever could. And you want us to finish. You want us to keep going because you know what awaits us on the other side and you know the dangers of stopping. So you will do whatever necessary to help us keep going. Father, I know around this room there are struggles and sufferings and consequences we're facing for actions. And I know there's all levels of struggle and weariness in this room. But I pray that we'd look to Jesus today. We'd consider who he is, what he's done, what he's willing to help us do. We'd consider your fatherly love. And we'd say, I can go again. I can go another day. I can go another week. I can go another year because my Jesus, my God loves me. And Jesus is worth it. He is worthy of a life sacrificed to him for all that he sacrificed to us. Help us remember that. Encourage us as we leave. Bless your church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.